Well, good morning. It's so great to be with you. My name is Andrew Heath, and this is my wife, Kristen, and we're so glad to be worshiping with you this morning. Let's stand to our feet as we worship our Creator who has done great things. He has done great things. Hero of heaven. Oh, hero of heaven. You conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. so grateful that you have done great things and we reflect on all those things you have done this morning through your son Jesus' work on the cross. God, your faithfulness to us. God, may these songs that we sing this morning, may their fellowship, may the teaching of your word be all for one thing is that for your glory and may it resound through all this campus this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> 
Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Bible Church on this lovely Sunday morning. My name is Seth Brown. I'm the pastor of Adult Connections. It is wonderful to gather with you as we lift up the name of Jesus this morning and worship his great name. Uh, I first want to thank uh, Andrew and Kristen Heath for being here this morning. Would you give them a big round of applause? They've done a great job. Andrew is the worship pastor at the Midtown campus of Battle Creek Church in Tulsa. And an interesting note about him is uh, growing up, he was in Jay Reisner's youth group uh, as, as a kid. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a big thing. But not only that, so was Ted Cushel, right here, and Jason Barnes. Three of our, our worship guys this morning were, were in Jay's youth group growing up, and they're still following Jesus. So... We, we praise God for the, his miracles in that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get talked to about that one on Tuesday at our meeting. So, um, no, so thank you all so much for leading us in worship this morning. Um, speaking of youth groups, we also want to thank uh, Justin and Addie this morning for their work uh, Trunk or Treat last week. It was a wonderful event. We did a great job with that. We're, th we're thankful for all the volunteers who made that uh, such a wonderful time. We're going to be doing that, I think, over the next several years, and, and uh, just thank you all for coming out and making that event so great for our kids. Uh, a couple of other announcements I just want to make real quick is uh, next Sunday evening is our next New Member Connection workshop. So if you're new to Faith Bible or if you're looking to maybe start the membership process, we would love to have you uh, at the workshop. It starts at 6 p.m. Uh, next week at the Fellowship Hall, and uh, it will go from about 6 to 7.30. There is child care available, and uh, we'd love for you to come out for that. Uh, you can sign up under the current sign-up page on the Faith Bible website, and uh, again, that's going to be next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, second, we also have our next parent-child dedications coming up on Sunday, December 1st in both of our services, and so if you're looking to dedicate your child to the Lord on that day, uh, also go to the current sign-up page on the Faith Bible website and, uh, and sign up for that. There'll be a pre-meeting, I think, for that uh, on, on the Wednesday before, maybe the Sunday before, or the Sunday before the, that event. So, uh, again, that's on Sunday, December 1st. So, and lastly, if you're new to Faith Bible this morning, if you're visiting with us, or if you're, this is your first time here, we are thankful that you're here, and uh, we would love to meet you. We encourage you to visit the Welcome Center in the lobby. It's just right off these doors to your left, and there'll be some folks there to answer any questions you have about the church and get to know you a little bit. So uh, with that, if we can uh, stand and shake someone's hand around you and welcome them to the church. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. of our God. He is the giver of life and the giver of love. He is love. Sing together.
Psalm 86 says to us this morning, For there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. So teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. Let's join in with creation this morning and declare. And all the will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. His bones will say great.
Thank you all so much for being here with us today. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Thank you. Well, it's wonderful to be here with you all today. It's wonderful to be here with God's people. It's a beautiful day that God's given to us. And if you're visiting here with us this morning, we're especially thankful that you're here. And uh, we really appreciate you taking time to come and uh, spend this Lord's Day with us this morning uh, here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, this is the first Sunday of the month. So I were in Brazil, but you know, Brazil's a very depressed place. Their economy's really bad. Um, it was much more depressed than I thought it would be. Um, we were told when we were there that most of the people that came to this conference, they would save their money all year to come to this conference. So this was their one vacation for the whole year. And it was very meaningful for us to be there and to be ministering to them, knowing the sacrifice they make to come there. And uh, the hotel that we were in where the conference was, was a five-star hotel in Brazil. So they're very excited to come there. I mean, here it would be a two-star hotel at best, just to kind of give you the difference, maybe one star. But to them, it was a wonderful, exciting place to be. And it was just uh, a great privilege to be there. Wonderful people. Uh, the people there were so appreciative. I've never taken, had my photograph taken so many times. I mean, they love pictures and everybody had their cell phones. And so it was really a wonderful time of fellowship. And we really grew to love, love the people there very much. But as always, it's great to be back. Um, it's always great when that plane lands in the United States. We got off in the airport down there in Dallas and, and wonderful to be back here with you. Uh, this morning, we're beginning a, a new three-week series um, on the topic of work. 
And so we've titled this series, this three-week series, The Gospel at Work. And what I want to do this morning is go back to the very beginning, go back to what's often called in the book of Genesis, uh, the cultural or the creation mandate. So to begin this series, let's go back to the beginning. And so if you'll open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, I want to read uh, three verses there. Then we'll go over and read one verse in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we've, we've made it now in creation to the sixth day, where God creates the, the man and the woman. He creates the, the pinnacle, really, the zenith of His creation. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in His own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then over in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man, and he put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So reads God's inspired and errant word. Back in uh, 1962, when Teddy Kennedy was 30 years of age, he made his first run for uh, the Senate up in the state of Massachusetts. And during the, one of the main debates they had, the other man that was running against him was questioning his qualifications. And he accused uh, Teddy Kennedy of being a child of privilege. So at one point in the debate, the man even pointed his finger at Kennedy, and he said, you've never had a full-time job. He says, you've never uh, worked a full day in your entire life. And it, it kind of made a point that kind of resonated with some people. Well, the next morning, Ted Kennedy visited a factory at 6 o'clock in the morning. He arrived there and stood outside greeting the workers as they were making their way in. And uh, one big, uh, big iron worker came up to him, and he said, I heard what they said about you last night, that you've never worked a day in your life. And he says, let me tell you something, you haven't missed a thing. <laughs> now, to say that about work is to miss a big thing about work, right? I mean, it's missing the importance of work in God's purpose and plan for creation. Because we're going to see here this morning, just briefly, I mean, work goes from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible. It's a part of God's purpose and plan for creation. And work is an integral part of all of our lives as well. In some way or another, work is a dominating feature of our lives. We see that just in the time that we spend working. If a person works 40 to 45 hours a week for around 40 years, um, that's about 90,000 hours of work at a job. Um, someone has totaled up that, so, that uh, adults, by the time they, they end their, their work life, have worked about 13 years of life. One statistic I read I thought was kind of interesting. It says that every American, the average American spends 19 days a year stuck in traffic. Think about that, 19 days of the year. And much of that is related to commuting back and forth uh, from work. So it's clear just from the perspective of time that work matters. Work is a big thing. And you, we, we see this in our culture. Think about all the, the television shows and series that are out there. What are most of them about? They're about people working. You know, they're, a, they're a police officer, they're a lawyer, they're a nurse, they're a paramedic. I mean, these shows are all based and revolve around work. Of course, country songs are a treasure trove about work, aren't they? 
song called Hard Working Man. It's a song, I think, by Alan Jackson. It's five o'clock somewhere. Probably the, the most famous one's Johnny Paycheck's old song, You'll Take This Job and Shove It. And I think Merle Haggard, you know, had that old song, Working Man Blues. But all these songs kind of tap into this idea of, of work and the, the importance and significance of it in life. Yet often, sadly, we give minority attention to what we do with the majority of our time. And I think, sadly, most believers don't have a very robust theology of work. Uh, we lack a, a, a biblical view of vocation. And this is often called by people who write in this area the Sunday to Monday gap. And this Sunday to Monday gap in our lives is very real, I think, for most of us, and it's very regrettable. Because oftentimes, I think if we're honest, we live kind of compartmentalized lives, kind of bifurcated lives, if you will. Far too often, often there's a gaping chasm between our faith and what we do on Sunday and our day-to-day -day work on uh, Monday through Friday. So in this series, what we're going to try to do, and I hope we can accomplish at least to some measure, is to connect, or maybe for some of us reconnect, Sunday worship to Monday work. Well, we want to learn how our work connects to our faith, to seamlessly connect and integrate work and faith together, to, to look at work through the biblical lens. We want to develop an integrated theology of work. Now, this series is going to focus primarily on work in the workplace, work that we do for money or for compensation. Now, I know that many of you work at home, taking care of children maybe or grandchildren, and that is certainly good work. It's important, sacred, godly work. Now, we all do work that we don't get paid for, right? We clean our house, we wash our car, we paint our house, we put out the trash, we mow the yard. We all do all kinds of work that's not compensated. So not all work receives money, but all of our work comes underneath the umbrella of this study. And I, I hope that you'll be thinking of how all the work that you do connects with what we're going to uh, talk about in this study. But in this study, we're going to focus primarily on work in the workplace, the work that we're compensated to do. Now, what I want to do over the next three Sundays is look at three different topics or subsets of work. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the meaning or the mandate of work. That is, what is work? The next Sunday, I want to look at the motivation to work, and that is, why do we work? We'll look at some, some reasons why we shouldn't be focused on work and some reasons why we work. And then the last uh, week, I want to look at the manner of our work, and that is, uh, how do we work? Now, there's going to be some overlap, but these will be kind of the broad categories uh, that we want to, want to look at this topic under. So this morning, I want to begin by looking at the meaning or the mandate of work. We want to look at what's often called uh, the cultural or the creation mandate back in the book of Genesis. And the main thought we want to develop is very simple, and that is that work is a calling, it's not a curse. Work is a calling, it's not a curse. Now, before we get into Genesis here and look at this creation mandate, I want to read a quote by a man named Os Guinness. Um, Os Guinness has a book, and the title of his book is The Call. And I would recommend that book if you're interested in uh, learning more about faith and work. It's a little bit philosophical in some places, but just has some wonderful gems uh, within this book that are very, very helpful. But this is, uh, Os Guinness has developed a, a way to think about work that really has shaped my theology of work. And I've probably read 20 or 30 books the last few weeks on work preparing for this study. And almost all of those books 
refer in some way to this quote I'm going to read to you by Os Guinness. That's how formative it really has been, I think, in many people's minds. So let me read this to you, and then I'll make a couple comments, because this quote is kind of, kind of undergird all that we're going to say in this study. Here's what Guinness says. He says, Our primary calling as followers of Christ is by Him, to Him, and for Him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, that is God, and not to something such as motherhood, politics, or teaching, or to somewhere. Our secondary calling, considering who God is as sovereign, is that everyone, everywhere, and in everything should think, speak, live, and act entirely for Him. We can therefore properly say that as a matter of secondary calling, we're called to homemaking or to practice law or art history. But these and other things are always the secondary, never the primary calling. They are callings rather than the calling. They are our personal answer to God's address, our response to God's summons. Secondary callings matter, but only because the primary calling matters the most. Now, let me unpack that a bit. What he's saying is, as a believer in Christ, we have a primary calling in life. And that calling is not to some place or something, it's to someone. The primary calling for every one of us as a believer is to God. It's to live our lives under His Lordship and to walk in a manner that's worthy of Him. Then underneath that, we all have secondary callings. That's the work uh, that we do to express and live out that primary uh, calling that we have. So there's, there's one calling that every believer has, but there are many different callings or vocations through which we express that main calling that we have. And even the word vocation, and we talk about someone's vocation, uh, that's from the Latin word vocare, which literally means a calling. So the whole idea of vocation carries this idea of a calling. And I thought about this uh, this week in my life when I got out of college. I went to law school, and many of you know I was an attorney. I worked as a lawyer for four years. And so that was a, a calling or a career that God had for me. And Cheryl and I left that, and we went to seminary, and I've been here now at Faith Bible Church for 28 years. So I've had one calling in my life, and that is a calling to submit my life to the Lordship of Christ. But I've had two callings, if you will, or, or two careers. And I know it's the same for many of you. You may have had a lot of different careers or callings. So my one calling and your one calling is to give our best to Christ and walk worthy of Him. But then we may have different callings and different vocations. And by the way, I believe that both of the callings I've had in my life are equally pleasing to God. Working as an attorney, working as a pastor, those were callings equally pleasing under the sovereignty of God. Now, this even plays into the idea of retirement a bit. I don't want to talk about this at length, but I've often heard people say, and probably you've heard this as well, many people will say there's, retirement is never mentioned in the Bible. You, know, you never read about retirement in the Bible. You know, retirement is um, unbiblical. Well, that's actually an incorrect statement. Uh, retirement in the Bible is biblical. We know there's one group that retired. That was the Levites. If you're a Levite, you didn't start working till you were 25, and you had to retire at age 50. Now, you think about what the Levites did, you know, slaughtering cows and oxen, and it was backbreaking work, and so they were allowed to retire at age 50. So we do have retirement in the Bible. But here's the important thing to remember about this whole idea of retirement. You never lose your calling. 
Okay, is there a doctor? Is there someone in here who's a physician? Okay, right over here in this corner. Okay. Let's pause and have a word of prayer just for a moment. Father, we come before you and we pray for our brother or sister here who's uh, struggling here this morning. We don't know what it is, but you do. And we come and, Father, we commit this person to you and to your grace and um, ask for your uh, healing hand to be upon them. And the, the doctors, the physicians that are attending now, Father, they'll know what to do. So, Father, we come and uh, we commit this situation to you and, and to your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Something we should go on or we okay? Okay. Well, um, I just let me just pause here and just say this for a minute. Speaking of vocations, you know, and all work being important to God, it is, isn't it? We need people to do all kinds of things to help us and uh, to minister to us. But what I was saying, though, about retirement is you, you never lose your calling. We all have a calling, a calling to please God, to live under his lordship. You may end your career, you may end your vocation, but you never end your calling as a believer. And again, our calling is to live for Christ and the glory of God. So then these callings or these vocations under that are the ways that we live out and express the calling of God in various areas. So I kind of want to lay that as kind of the groundwork for this study. And with that in mind, now what I want to do is gather our thoughts around three words to help us kind of flesh out the meaning of this creation mandate. You can see in your outline, we have the word imitation and then the word instruction and then the word integration. So I want to kind of use these to flesh out this idea of this creation mandate. The first one is the word imitation, or we could use the word image here. A work is part of the image of God. Now, here's something that's very important. A lot of people probably never thought about. The Bible opens with God at work. The first and foremost worker in the universe is God himself. When the Bible opens, God is working. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as you read through Genesis 1, God is creating, he's speaking, and he's separating, and he's making, and he's naming things and calling things. So work doesn't come into the picture later. Work is part of the initial creation. So when the Bible opens, God is working. And by the way, when you get to the end of the Bible, God is still working. In Genesis, uh, Revelation 21, verse 1, um, he says, I create the new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth have passed away. So at the beginning and the end of the Bible, God is working, and God is working in between as well. Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is working until now. So God is working at the very beginning and at the end of the biblical story. So God is a workman. It's part of God's nature and character uh, to work. And God works for the sheer joy and the delight of it. And so the point here in this passage is, is the God that asks you and me to work, he himself works. 
So God is not some inactive God. He's not some do-nothing deity. In fact, if you think about all the pictures of God throughout the Bible, God is pictured as a worker. And He's a creator. We see Him in the Bible as a potter. God is a warrior. God's a shepherd. He's a vine dresser. Um, he's, a, he's a builder. Uh, God's a judge. So throughout Scripture, God is a worker. Now, when we come to Genesis 1.26... And verse 27, three times here it's stated that we are created in the image of God. So if God is a worker and we're created in the image of God, then we're called to be workers as well. We work because we bear the image of one who works. And so our work is really an imitation, if you will, of God's work. And God made Adam and Eve and he put them into the garden. Um, One of the reformers, Ulrich Zwingli, says this. He says, there's nothing in the universe so like God as the worker. And so again, in Genesis 1, the Bible opens with God working, and the very first thing that God says to uh, the man and the woman have to do with work. So we can see here this creation mandate that you and I work with God to make his world as wonderful and beautiful as it possibly can be. Now, I like to look at it like this. You and I are kind of subcontractors who are working for and with God. It says here that God made us, and he says, subdue the earth and take dominion over the earth. So in some area or some arena, we're a subcontractor for God, doing work um, under him as our creator. And this means that work is a blessing. It's, It's a calling. It's not a curse. A work is a gift. It's not some punishment that God gave to us. In fact, over in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a couple of really uh, great statements. In fact, a lot of statements in Ecclesiastes about work. A lot of them in Proverbs as well. But in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. I also have seen this, that it's from the hand of God. So our work is something God gives to us. And down in chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13 of Ecclesiastes, it says this, I know there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. So our work is a gracious gift that God gives to us. Some of you uh, may get up on Monday morning and say, thank God it's Monday. I mean, I have the opportunity to go work, right, and and to, to have this precious gift that God has given to me. But we see God at work in Genesis 1 and 2 and throughout the Bible, and we see people at work. In fact, one writer, Paul Menear, says this, the Bible's an album of casual photographs of laborers. It's a book by workers, about workers, and for workers. That is the Bible. That's really true. The Bible's a a book about work. Uh, When Jesus came, who's God in human flesh and came to this world, Jesus came as a worker. One quote I read this week that's really good, it says this, before Jesus was known as the Christ, he was known as the carpenter. That's a striking statement. Before Jesus was known as the Christ, he was known as the carpenter. Jesus understands the daily grind of work. So it's God's will that you and I work. It's God's uh, pleasure that we produce. It's God's calling uh, that we create. So God hotwired every person for work. It's part of God's image that he's placed within us. 
Um, In his book, Every Good Endeavor, uh, Tim Keller says this, work is as much a basic need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It's not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. Work is a part of what God created us to be and to do. Now, let me say this. I don't want to get off on this for a long time, but rest is also a part of the image of God. God worked six days, and the seventh day he rested. So you and I need a rhythm or a cycle of work and rest in our lives to be pleasing to God. And I think all of us know this. Sometimes we have to work hard to rest. Right? It's hard work sometimes to rest, to find the time when we can uh, find leisure and find a relief and rest in our lives. But work and rest are both part of God's image. So that's the first thing I want us to see in this creation mandate. Your work and my work for us is part of the image of God. Now, the second key word in the creation mandate is instruction. Um, Look over at chapter 2, verse 15. We see here that work is part of the initial instruction of God. Work is ordained by God. Look at Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord took the man and he put, it in the garden, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, this is the first job description in the Bible. And you'll notice here that work was a part of paradise. Work was present before the fall. God was working and Adam and Eve were working. So it's very important to remember that work is not a part of the curse. Work was not given to curse man. That's what a lot of people think. You know, we have to work because God's cursed us. Now, work was given before the curse began, and work will be here after the curse is gone in eternity. So work is not the curse, but work came under a curse. The ground was cursed, and work now has become more difficult because of sin. Now, look over in chapter 3 of Genesis in verse 17. It says, then to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust uh, you shall return. So before the fall, it seems that everything responded easily to the efforts of the man and the woman in creation. But when sin comes, the ground is cursed, and work now is made more difficult by the fall. Work has become futile and frustrating and fatiguing because of the fall. Work now includes pain and conflict and jealousy and struggle and all these kinds of things. It's marked by thorns and thistles. In fact, I was just talking to a guy this week, and he was telling me at his work, he's got a computer, and he's got all this information, all these forms he needed to to take care of for different people who work for him, and his computer crashed, and he wasn't able to do any of it, and had to to send it in, they're trying to get all this information for him. I didn't say this to him at the time, but what I was thinking in my mind was thorns and thistles, right? Work's harder now because of the fall. After the fall, work now is a mixed bag. It's more difficult and demanding and can even be kind of disillusioning at times. But God gave us work from the beginning to bring us into partnership with himself to make the world a better place. Notice he says, I want you to 
Uh, cultivate it, and I want you to keep it, or tend it and take care of it. There in verse 15. Now, in my version, in the New American Standard, it says to cultivate it. You probably have different translations in your Bible, but it's, it's a, an important Hebrew word there, the word avodah. And avodah is translated in the Old Testament, sometimes work, but sometimes worship, and sometimes service. And so I think in this word, it blends together and connects the ideas of work and worship and service. So the original desire and design of God is that our work and our worship are a seamless way of living. They're not disjointed or disconnected from one another. Work is woven into the integral fabric, if you will, of Christian vocation and Christian life and our worship with God. We cooperate with God in the management and the development of His creation. So again, God subcontracted different aspects of His work to us to, to, to labor with Him. So the Garden of Eden was not an early form of club med. You know, it wasn't some you know, all-inclusive vacation or resort for Adam and Eve. God didn't create Adam and Eve and then give them a hammock to lie around in all the time. God put them there uh, to serve and to keep in this garden. And of course, this is the first partnership as the man and the woman participate in their work with God. Now, when it comes to work, there's two extremes we can have. God does it all, or we can go to the other extreme and have this idea that we do it all ourselves. The truth is, is that God allows us to be co-workers with Him. I like a story about a prosperous farmer. He invited the pastor over one Sunday for lunch. And after uh, they had lunch together, he took him up to kind of the top of a hill where the pastor could see the panorama of his, of his beautiful farm. And all around them, there were beautifully kept orchards and straight rows of crops and geometric patterns with various shades of green, a beautiful place. And the pastor began to kind of wax eloquent. And he said, oh, look, he says, God is so wonderful. How beautiful are the works of his hands. The farmer kind of looked at him and said, well, I'm sure you're right. He said, but you should have seen this place when God had it all by himself. <laughs> and the truth is God calls us to come and work with him to beautify and to develop and to cultivate and to care for the creation he's placed us in. So look, work is a part of the image of God that he's placed in all of us. Work is a part of God's original instruction to the man and the woman. And then our third word here that I want to focus on is the word integration. Work is integrated into the creation of God. Now, integration is the opposite of the sacred-secular distinction. A lot of believers, I think, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, have a two-tier view of work, or it's called a dualistic view of work. And dualism would say this, only the work that's kind of overtly done in God's name really matters. Only the real spiritual things we do for God really count. In other words, the only part of my life that really matters is the part that's committed to religious activities like praying and going to church and, and uh, uh, reading the Bible and things like that. And so a lot of believers, I think, in the back of their mind have this idea that being a pastor or a missionary or some type of person who's in, quote, full-time Christian work, that that's more pleasing and valuable to God than other kinds of work, that the rest of work doesn't really have intrinsic value. And that's a, a two-tier, double-tier view of life. It's a, a dichotomy that we don't find in Scripture. 
We often call this the secular sacred divide, or it's sometimes called the pew and pulpit divide, or sometimes we call it the divide between the ordained and the ordinary. In other words, if you're ordained and in full-time ministry, somehow what you do is far more important than what everyone else does. In other words, some kind of work doesn't really have value intrinsically. Uh, One person said it like this. He said, people in full-time ministry are paid to be good. The rest of us are good for nothing. (laughs) I like that. But look, God, God's sovereignty over all of creation, the fact that God made it all and declared it to be good, means that all work is equally pleasing uh, to God. There's no such thing as this secular, sacred division of, of labor. Um, Abraham Kuyper years ago uh, gave a, a statement. It's kind of a famous quote in this area of thinking. He says, there's not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus does not cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. Since that's true, God owns it all, He created it all, He's sovereign over it all, then all work is equally valuable and pleasing to God. Again, this is a transforming vision, if you will, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So under Christ's Lordship, there aren't any different degrees or categories of work. There's no sacred sacred, secular distinction. There's no white-collar, blue-collar distinction. There's no hierarchy of work uh, with God. There's equal dignity of all work. It's all under His Lordship. And all work has intrinsic value. I think some people think that, well, my job doesn't really have intrinsic value, but if I witness to somebody at work or start a Bible study, then that will make my work meaningful. No, the work itself that you do is intrinsically valuable to God. It's part of this creation mandate. We see a lot of examples of this in the Bible. Think about Daniel. Daniel was a government bureaucrat, but he was called the servant of God. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the Persian king. He was a wall builder. He worshiped and pleased God. Joseph was the head of Potiphar's house. Um, He worked in the jail. He became ultimately the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph had one calling, but several different callings in life. Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman, a, a seller of purple fabrics in the New Testament. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. All of these kinds of work were pleasing to God. Uh, Tom Nelson, who's done a lot of writing in the idea of work and faith, um, he says this, Many believers of Jesus live their entire lives in the workplace under the soul-suffocating distortion that their work is not as important and God-honoring as the work of a pastor and a missionary. And then he says this, There's no more sacred space than the workplace where God has called you to serve Him and the common good. It's a sacred place. Wherever you work, wherever God's placed you, however mundane and meaningless it may seem to you or to somebody else, sacred work to God. One man said it like this, we can worship God as much in a pair of overalls as we can in a choir robe. The Bible doesn't know anything about a hierarchy of labor. God is so great that anything we do with the intention of giving Him glory can give Him glory. A Gerald Manley Hopkins says this, to lift up the hands in prayer gives God glory, but a man with a dung fork in his hand, a woman with a slop pail, give Him glory too. Listen to this, this is beautiful. God is so great that anything we do gives Him glory if you mean for it to. That's how great God is. Whatever we do, if we mean to give it glory to God, it does. 
William Tyndale said this years ago, if our desire is to please God, pouring water, washing dishes, cobbling shoes, and preaching God's word is all one. It's all important. Robert Morey says this, if you're a salesman, every appointment is holy and every closing is sacred. I'm sure those closings really are sacred in a lot of ways, but it's a sacred thing. Ruth Graham Bell, Billy Graham's wife, she has a plaque. She had a plaque above her kitchen sink that said this, divine services conducted here three times a day. That's wonderful, isn't it? Divine services as we're washing dishes or, or doing whatever God has called us to do. Uh, most of you here know that uh, Cheryl and I have two sons. And um, our one son, uh, Samuel, actually he and his wife, Ellen, were here at the last service. They're here for the weekend. But he's at Dallas Seminary attending uh, DTS. And uh, his goal is to, to be in, in, uh, in pastoral ministry. Um, our other son, Justin, and his wife, Natalie, attend church here. And Justin is a lawyer. And I don't view either one of them as their work is more important than the other. I'm not more proud of Sam because he's going to be a pastor than I am of Justin who's an attorney. There's one calling for all of us. There are many different callings. And both of those callings, I believe, are equally important and equally valuable uh, to God. Martin Luther had a big impact on work. You've often heard of the Protestant work ethic. A lot of that came from the Protestant reformers. So let me read a couple quotes here from Martin Luther as we kind of close out here. Luther said this, The work of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, don't differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of a rustic labor in the field or a woman going about her household tasks. All works are measured before God by faith alone. In fact, Luther would remind the farmers in his congregation often that God even milks the cows through you, that they're working and laboring with God as they do that. Here's my favorite Luther quote, though, about work. You'll like this. He says, God and angels smile when a man changes a diaper. (laughs) So do women, by the way. (laughs) They smile a lot, mothers and grandmothers. But that beautiful, God and angels smile when a man changes a diaper. Whatever we do in life to bring glory to God, it's sacred to Him. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all work there is profit. In all work there's profit. It's all pleasing to God. So to kind of put this together as we wrap up here this morning, there's this cultural creation mandate that God has given to us. Every one of us here who know the Lord, we have a primary calling. And that calling is not to something or some place, it's to someone. That's our primary calling in life. It's allegiance to God, it's living life under His Lordship. But then underneath that, we all have a secondary calling, some place and something that we do where we honor God and that primary calling He's given us in life. And we see that work is a part of the image of God. Work is a part of the instruction of God that He's given to us. Work is part of the integration of God. It's integrated into the fabric of this world under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One of the books I read uh, in these last few weeks has a, a story at the end, and I'll close with this. It's a story about the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. Some of you probably remember that movie years ago. Richard Dreyfus was this man, Mr. Holland. Here's what this writer says. It says, this movie tells the story of a high school music teacher whose longtime dream was to compose and direct world-class music wearing a long-tailed tuxedo under the shining lights of a prestigious concert hall. Like many of us, Mr. Holland's life dream was never to be realized, but he would be lived out in obscurity. 
His ordinary vocational life found its place day in and day out, teaching students to play and love music. As Mr. Holland is getting ready to retire from his high school teaching job, a monumental surprise is waiting. Summoned to the high school auditorium, Mr. Holland is speechless as he encounters a host of his past music students who've come back to their old school to play his composed music and pay tribute to a life well-lived. It is in this music hall that Mr. Holland comes to realize and recognize the masterpiece of his life was not a world-class composition, rather it was his vocational faithfulness, evidenced in the myriad of students he'd taught to love and play music. Mr. Holland's true life legacy was the extraordinary way he lived his ordinary vocational life. His magnum opus was the many people he touched so deeply. And then the writer says this, the magnum opus of most of our lives will not be under the bright lights of visibility, but will be the extraordinary impact of our ordinary day-to-day life faithfully lived in extraordinary ways. It is in and through our vocations that the love of Christ shines bright And the gospel is winsomely lived out and persuasively proclaimed. And where God desires our good work to be well done, this is where our Sunday faith and our Monday work meet. And that's what we want to see happen in these next few weeks. We want to see for all of us here, our Sunday faith and our Monday work meet together seamlessly in an integrated life that we live to the glory of God. Well, let's pray together. Father, as we come before you now and close our, uh, quiet our hearts before you, we want to be reminded this morning that as much as you love all of our work, there's one kind of work you don't, you don't like, and that's working for our salvation. Let me say that to all of us here this morning. There's one kind of work, as much as God loves hard work, there's one work that God will reject, and that is work where you're working, trying to merit and earn your salvation. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. The only work that will ever get you to heaven is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So I invite you now, if you've never trusted in Jesus to do that, to take him to be your Savior. Give up on yourself this morning and flee to him and him alone and accept that work that he did on your behalf on the cross and through his resurrection and trust in him. The Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, for those of us who know you, I pray this morning that we'll see our work as an imitation of your work. We'll see our Monday work as sacred in your sight, whatever we do. Father, help us to see that our work's not an intermission from the main action, but that it's an intrinsic, important part of our walk and worship with you. Father, bless every worker here today, every employer, every employee. Bless the businesses that are, that are owned and managed by the people here in our church. Bless their employees. Father, have your hand on those who, who work every day in, in the home, carrying out uh, that sacred work as well. Father, we come now to commit our work to you. And now, Father, we ask that you'd prepare our hearts to remember the greatest work that's ever been done, the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died in our place. Minister to us now as we remember him. In his name we pray. Amen. As these men are serving, I should just inform you that uh, we practice open communion here at Faith Bible Church, which means you don't need to be a member of Faith Bible to, 
take the Lord's Supper today. Uh, we simply ask that you be a believer in Jesus Christ, one who has trusted in the Lord Jesus to be your substitute on the cross uh, for the sin that you know you have uh, and, the, and the subsequent freedom that you find in him uh, is, is your hope both in life and in death. Uh, if, as these things are passed, if you've never taken communion with us today or up until this point, uh, as, these, as these elements are passed, know that they're stacked. Uh, so those cups are stacked. The bread cup is underneath uh, the juice cup. So take both cups as they come your way, uh, and I'll lead you through taking each of those elements uh, as we move forward. Last month, when we came to the Lord's table, my meditation centered around the issue of pardon. Uh, that idea connected with the sermon that day, and you likely don't remember but as we prepared for communion, I mentioned Psalm 25. Psalm 25, where the cry of David is, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And that's a beautiful cry because what David is thinking is, I don't bring my iniquity to you because it is small. I bring it because it is great. And, and because you know, little sins we don't maybe feel so bad about. Little sins we might take to God because they don't make us look all that terrible. But when your sins are great, do you go to the Lord? That's what David does. A solemn prayer. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. But the beauty of the gospel isn't only that through the work of Jesus on the cross does God pardon us from our sin and our iniquity. It's not only that we're set free from the law of sin and death. It's not just that Jesus is highly exalted through his resurrection power over the grave. It's not just that God pardons us. It's not only that he says to us, you can go. You're, you're free and, and clear, and I don't hold any of this against you. The real beauty of the gospel is not only that we're pardoned, but also that we are welcomed. You see, God invites us to himself. He not only says, you can go, he also says, come and stay. We're not merely pardoned, we are welcomed and we are wanted. And the magnificent expression of that invitation for the church to come to him is the Lord's Supper. Those who have trusted in the pardoning work of the Son are always invited to come. You are always welcome at the table. And so as we head into this holiday season of gathering around tables to feast, let each of those moments remind you of how the Lord has welcomed you to his table for a meal that, that proves to you just how welcome you are in his presence. So bow your heads with me. Let's for a moment just in silence meditate on our relationship to the Lord and on this table that we're gathering around. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it. Let's give thanks for the bread before we take it. Father, in taking this bread, we look to the broken body of Jesus Christ, and in looking to his broken body on the cross, we acknowledge that he came, 
He had a body. You sent him, and the mission you sent him on was to die for us. So we thank you for his obedience unto death. After he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's give thanks for the cup. Father, as we hold the cup in our hands and we think about the blood of Christ, it is only the shed blood of our Lord Jesus that washes away our sin. Nothing but the blood of your son can cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So we thank you for his sacrifice, his worthy and appropriate sacrifice for us. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for the proclamation of the gospel that takes place when we gather at this table. So Lord, we've, we've heard the gospel this morning, we've sang the gospel, now we've tasted it. And Lord, I, I pray that we would leave here on mission for you sharing with those that we know need to hear the gospel, the wonderful truth of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand as we sing Nothing But the Blood. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood Yeah. Uh-huh.
Thanks to the worship team. Thank you, Andrew and Kristen. It's really special to me to have all of you up here today, so I appreciate you serving so much. Um, just a quick announcement before I let you go. It was Jeannie Smith who uh, had an episode over here. Uh, she was never uh, without a pulse. Uh, she came to uh, and was alert very quickly. Appreciate all those uh, that helped get her out and uh, the, 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 uh, the quick nature in which the, the EMT showed up to uh, also care for her. So pray for Jeannie today uh, as uh, I, I know that uh, she would appreciate that. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, uh, know that there's a welcome center outside uh, these doors. As you make your way outside into the corridor, there's uh, a welcome center on the left. There'll be somebody there that'd be loved to that would love to visit with you, get any information to you that you might need. Uh, if you have a burden today, a need that you'd like to visit with an elder about, uh, we'll be down front ready to speak uh, uh, with you, spend as much time with you uh, as you might need today. The benediction is 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, where it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with us all forevermore. Amen. Go in his grace. You're dismissed.